operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. All right, welcome back to the Comic Book Revolution podcast. As always, I am your host, Rock. By my side, my platonic life partner, Steven. How you doing, my friend? Hey. It's been a while. <laughs> it has been a while, but we are back. We'll just put it at technical difficulties here at the studio, uh, at the bunker where the Revolution's podcast is recorded. A lot of work had to be done, a lot of renovating, and we were out of the house. It, so, look, all that matters, Stephen, is that we're back. Mm-hmm. We're fixed up. We have a nice spit and polish to everything here. Okay? <laughs> it's looking great. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. As always, everyone, you can check us out uh, anywhere on any podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon please make sure to rate and review with five stars. It helps people find the podcast, and we love hearing from all of our followers. You can also hop over to comicbookrevolution.com for the latest in comic book and manga reviews. I believe, Stephen, the latest that has been put up over at the website is a Amazing Spider-Man number 69 review. Kevin put one up there. He is always good for a Spider-Man review. It's one of his favorite franchises. Unfortunately, though, Stephen, unfortunately, spoiler alert for everyone, Amazing Spider-Man number 69 only got a 2 out of 10 for the story. From, uh, yeah, from Kevin. So Kevin, not liking what Nick Spencer and Ed Brisson were dishing out with that issue. <laughs> yeah, ow, ow, indeed. And going into the last stretch, too. That's, mm. Yeah, not not good, huh? Not good. Mm-mm. Uh, you can also you can also download and listen to the new Manga Revolution podcast on all podcast services. You can check us out on our Comic Revolution Facebook page. You can follow the Revolution on Twitter at CB Revolution, and you can also follow the Manga Podcast at the Manga Podcast on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Rock with Two Ks Revolution, and on Instagram at Rock Two Ks Revolution. And you, Stephen. And you can follow me on Twitter at President Glover. Fantastic. Today, Stephen, on this episode, the star attraction for this episode is Infinite Frontier number one. This is a big deal. This is DC's new big event story. And it's really setting the course for the new the new direction for this brand new DCU that has spun out of uh the big Scott Snyder medal event. This is where DC is essentially, I would say this is the final stage of all the uh, retconning and continuity work that has been going on (laughs) since new 52, since they finally admitted that new 52 was a complete and utter failure, which I could have told you the first week new 52 debuted, but it took, you you did, did I did, (laughs) I did do that. And I did that often. Unfortunately, DC's editorial, not so smart. It took them about four to five years to figure it out after they're getting their teeth kicked in by Marvel on a monthly basis. They've been slowly messing with the continuity. First, it was convergence, right? 
and they were tweaking things. Then you had Rebirth tweaking things more. And now I think with Scott Snyder's metal event, Infinite Frontier is now going, okay, he, he, let's, let's set the guidelines clearly for our new DCU, which to be honest, Stephen, is pretty much the DCU I remember before the original crisis on Infinite Earths back yep. in the 80s. I mean, it, it, it is very, very similar. It takes bits and pieces from, of course, you know, Grant Morrison's uh, Final Crisis and his Multiversity, sure. But, I mean, it's very similar to what DC had before they started picking at their continuity back in the 80s, which back in the 80s, I said, was a mistake. And it was because it really, from then on, created nothing but continuity problems for DC from the 80s forward. Mm. Where Marvel, with their soft retconning and soft timeline, never had to worry with those problems. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> unfortunate. DC did it to themselves. But anyhow, Infinite Frontier, big deal, Stephen. I figured it mm. needs its own podcast. This is, there's a lot going on. And... Unlike Marvel Comics, you and I are actually excited about DC Comics. <laughs> yeah, so, I would say so. <laughs> I understand that Marvel's still winning in sales, and, and Marvel may always win in sales, Stephen. They will always outproduce DC. DC will yeah. not, just simply won't publish the number of comics that Marvel will. Marvel also mm-hmm. has other franchises like Star Wars that DC doesn't have to combat with as well. So I. I don't expect DC to catch up to Marvel in the sales charts Mm -hmm. this year with Infinite Frontier. But I do firmly believe that DC is right now making the better comics than Marvel. And I don't think it's close. And you also, Stephen, do not see the constant battle with the fans Mm -hmm. with DC Comics that you do see with Marvel. You just don't see it. And the reason is because DC is making good stuff. They're not picking fights with their fans. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would say so. I mean, what is your um, impression on DC versus Marvel at the moment? I don't. I don't really know what. I don't really know what Marvel's doing. To be honest with you, I think they are. I think they're stuck in a mindset of trying to desperately appeal to to people who who don't usually read comics. Which I mean, I get that. It's a it's a business. The business yep. always wants to make more money. Yep but I think they're just going about it in the wrong way. It's not, it's not like they're trying to, you know, bridge to new audiences. It's just that, um, I don't know. It's the having people who don't actually write comics, who don't even write like screenplays, which are kind of, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, you know, uh, they're comic, they're comic books without the pictures yeah. on there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and like YA novelists and stuff. It's they like, really it's seem to, to like say, those now, don't they? Right. It's not that those people, like, there's not, they're not going to find one that right. can write a good comic book. It's right. just that they haven't so far. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if they keep plugging away at it, eventually they'll find somebody. <laughs> keep hacking away, you'll eventually succeed. Yeah, somebody. Is that the theory? They, <laughs> I guess they're just looking for one. They just what, need to find the one. What is the obsession, do you think, with hiring? Why one YA novelist after the next? Because <laughs> you don't see DC employing that same approach. It, you, it, mm-hmm. you don't see other comic book publishers employing that same approach. It's not been one that has been done in the past. What what is the because it's clearly it, it is 
clearly an obsession of Marvel. That this is, this is what they yeah. want, and I I can't figure it out. Really, I don't see what the I don't see what the draw is. Do you? Um, well, I think there's three things. First of all, I think Marvel still they still look down on on comic book writers who work for other companies that aren't mm-hmm. DC and Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in I would say Image, but Image is where everyone goes when they're tired of Marvel and DC. So it is. It really is. Not likely to get them back. Oh, I don't um, think so. <laughs> you, know, you got people who work for like you know Top Cow or Boom or whoever who've worked there for forever. Yes, and would probably love to jump, but Marvel is just like, nah, we can't, we can't do that. Right. Um, and it's always been like that, so that's not yeah. really that's not anything new. Um, I think uh, YA books make more money than comic books do. Oh yeah, no doubt. Overall, yep. So they're probably trying to chase that market even mm-hmm. though they they can't hire anybody who actually writes the big YA novels because right they're they too expensive comic books right um <laughs> and i think it's another i think it's another demographic push a lot of the big mm-hmm. YA novels are written by women yeah so they want to get that yep. and you know they want to have that diversified uh group of people that are writing their comic books yep. I just don't think, and this was something that the studios did back after Harry Potter was popular, like go in and grab a book and say, oh, this is going to be a movie. Yes, yes. I think they're just doing that with the authors. Like, all right, this is a book right. and has some kind of sales, so put this person on a title immediately. Right, right. right. And hasn't really worked out so far. No, it is has it is not, my friend. It has not. Yeah. So, anyhow, you and I both excited for DC. I think there is lots mm-hmm. of potential with this new direction for this brand new DCU, and I think you're pretty excited about it as well. So I'm really looking forward to getting into Infinite Frontier number one and digging into it. But before we do that, Stephen, I wanted to quickly touch on just a few things coming out of the MCU because it's almost impossible, Stephen, to do an episode of a podcast and not have to mention the MCU at some point, despite how much you and I might not want to mention it. <laughs> But it's there, it's ever-present, my (laughs) friend, and it's not going anywhere. We saw this week Stephen Kevin Feige mentioned that when talking about the Black Widow, which is a prequel, he mentioned the fact that the Marvel Studios may indeed go in the direction of more prequels, which is interesting because, as we know, they have burned through most of the bigger named Marvel characters in phases one, two, and three. And now we're heading to phase four, and there has been a concern that, uh uh-oh, are we running out of bigger named characters, and would doing prequels allow us to hop back in time to revisit characters like Steve Rogers, Tony Stark, who may not be around anymore? Uh, what What is your take on the idea of doing more prequels. If it's prequels that are just based on characters who are dead now, then I think that's very dumb. Um, well, I think doing a, a Black Widow movie after she has died is pretty dumb, too. I agree. But, I agree. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, you know, what's the point? You know, we all know where but, it's going. And are, are you like me yeah. that once a character in a piece of fiction is dead, you feel like the story has been told? The character arc is completed. The story's been told, and I really don't. I have no investment in going back again to that character. That is just me, and I know. Hey, look, everybody's different when it comes to to works sure. of yeah. of of creative writing and and literature and whatnot <laughs> and entertainment. And people are different about how they like to consume their their entertainment. But that, that's for me. 
I feel like the characters told their story. What 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 is the point? I already know the character arc. I already know their destination and the ending. It yeah. it, it it robs. I, you know, in the prequel, she's not going to die, <laughs> right? You know, she's going to make it through. So it right. robs the story <laughs> of a lot of its. You know, oh no, is the hero going to make it? Yeah, I, I mean, it depends. The only time that I don't feel that way is comic books because, well, the characters aren't going to stay dead for very long anyway. They never do. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but other than that, yeah, unless the characters, well, unless, like, the characters, a character's death is, like, part of some, you know, twist to the story or it's part of the mystery of how, trying to figure out how this happened and whatnot, then then that's okay. Um, you know it's coming, but you want to see how they get there. But other than that, I mean, like, when Han Solo died in The Force Awakens, I didn't need to see any more Han Solo movies because I know he winds up dying a crusty old man who hasn't really learned anything, apparently. <laughs> yeah, And a deadbeat dad. Yep. So that's, that's fun. Um, so, you know, going into Solo, I was like, I mean, the guy who plays him is good, but... right. I don't really need to see any more Han Solo. He's, right. he's dead and it's right. over. Um, and the thing, and I think a lot of things, something that comic book fans, they love to use this as a defense of, you know, of the movies where it's like, well, you know, in the comics, they come back. So, you know, they could do this stuff. But it's like, well, comics are different than movies. Right. Like movie fans don't, aren't going to go in to watch a Steve Rogers prequel most of them are not going to be like, you know, oh, it's just like the comics. He's mm-hmm. back. They're going to be like, why is he back? Is he... How did he come back? Right, right. They're going to ask a bunch of questions, and right. it's, that just doesn't work. I mean, I, I bet there's people who are going to watch Black Widow who think mm-hmm. that this is after Endgame and want to know how, why she's still alive. Right. And don't realize that it's a prequel. Mm-hmm. And I think that could cause some problems. I agree. Now, if it's a prequel as in it takes place before with a different set of characters, then that's different. Right. That, that right. could work. Right. right. Um, like, like the it... Eternals apparently is a prequel. Captain Marvel was a prequel right. to the MCU, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, An Agents of different. Atlas story uh, of movie set in the mm-hmm. 50s and 60s. Mm, you could do that. Yeah. Well, they won't, they could but Jimmy, you could. They couldn't use Jimmy Woo unless that Jimmy Woo is Jimmy Woo the second or something. Yeah, and let's pretend that's not cool Jimmy Woo. Jimmy Woo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's an imposter. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I just, I'm not that excited about going down the road of prequels. I think it can tend to encourage lazy storytelling. And I think Marvel Studios is already, I guess they uh, are a victim of that at times. And I don't think they need to encourage it any more than they already do. Very generous, what you just said. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Uh, the next <laughs> bit of news. Speaking of uncreative, Stephen, the next bit of news is Marvel Studios is evidently, the rumors say, wanting to create a Jurassic Park style movie. Yes. Because they, they just have to have it all, Stephen. They have to have it all. I mean, the fact is, the Jurassic Park franchise slash. Jurassic World is extremely successful. And the Jurassic World movies have been a huge hit for Universal and have even spawned to some new rides over at Universal Studios. It's a big deal. 
make no mistake, the it's like the Velocicoaster that they just unveiled. It's pretty awesome. I haven't been able to ride it, obviously, thanks pandemic, but I've seen enough POV videos on YouTube, and it looks like a ride that I, I got to get on as soon as I can. It looks amazing. Uh, but evidently, we're going to get this Jurassic Park style movie, Stephen, full of dinosaurs. How? Well, what's the one way you can bring the prehistoric world into the MCU, Stephen, you know how the Savage Land. That's right. It's that prehistoric tropical landscape that is hidden in the Antarctic Circle. And it's also happens to be the home of Kazar, Shanna, and Zabu. It's I I'm curious to see. It kind of makes sense that this would be the way they would go. Mm-hmm. it's also an easy way to introduce a whole bunch of other Marvel characters who are associated with the Savage Land, including you got Sauron, right? Mm-hmm. You've got the Savage Land Mutates. You've got Stegron. You've got mm-hmm. Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy. So yeah. you've got, <laughs> you know, I think Magneto has actually lived there several times in, in, throughout his yes. history. I, yes, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've got a lot of characters that you can bring into the MCU through mm-hmm. the Savage Land. The Savage Land would also allow, once again, what what Marvel fans always say is, hey, the, MC, the, the magic of the MCU is that it's not just superhero movies. That actually mm-hmm. it's, not, it's, not, it's not just one genre, the superhero genre. That it's multiple genres. It's action, espionage. See the Winter Soldier, right? It's, right. it's science fiction. See... Guardians of the Galaxy. It's uh, James Bond, tech gadget, see Tony Stark. It's on and on and on, right? It's mm-hmm. it's it's uh, magic. See Doctor Strange. Right. Okay. Well, this would allow them to say, again, it's another genre. It's the it's dinosaur movie genre, right? Or mm-hmm. fantasy genre. What have you, Tarzan genre? What have you? You know, it, it allows them to to again continue this trend of what they say is of, of multi genres underneath one overarching MCU banner, mm-hmm. and they believe that's their that's the secret sauce for continuing the MCU movies on into the future without burning out, a la other genres in the past, like the Western genre, which. Steven, for like, what was it, like 40 years, it seemed unstoppable? I mean, it mm-hmm. really did. People forget yeah. about it because a lot of us weren't alive <laughs> during the, <laughs> the Western yeah. heyday. But the fact is, it was it, it, it was decades long. It was the genre. So mm-hmm. what do you think about, if this is true, what do you think about Marvel's idea to bring the Savage Land in to continue to diversify the genres of their movies and to do a more Jurassic Park style competitor? Um, well, yeah, this is definitely to try to one up on universal. Yes. So Disney, Disney gets a win from that. Right. Um, they probably will get to add stuff to their theme park. So that's another win for Disney. Yep. Uh, oh, I could imagine a, a Savage Land world at a at a theme park. And, and keep funny. and keep in mind, yeah. Stephen. I think mm-hmm. that the Savage Land characters would all fall outside 
of the old 1990s Marvel Universal contract that prevents a lot of these characters from appearing east of the Mississippi in any Disney park east of the Mississippi. That's why they're in Disneyland right now. That's why they just opened up the Avengers Campus. They can do that in Disneyland which they just opened up, I think it was a week ago, Adventures Campus opened up with Spider-Man, all the Mm -hmm. Adventures and everybody. They could do that. That's that's west of the Mississippi. But east of it, Disney World, which is obviously, that is the crown jewel. That's the biggest one. It's the same size Mm -hmm. as San Francisco. It's massive. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Can't have them there. (laughs) But I think the Savage Land characters, you can sneak around it. And yes, indeed, Stephen. Wow, that is right. I mean, that that is really just tailor-made for some type of immersive theme park ride is it not mm-hmm. a savage land yeah. come on a- <laughs> <laughs> um but i mean yeah they i mean they definitely could do that it would be it would be cool to see you know devil dinosaur yes on the, on the big screen yeah um now you know i don't necessarily agree that Marvel actually does different genres of movies right that, that I, I i preface that as by saying they're the right, fans they say, yeah. say that. Correct. Correct. Um, so, I mean, yes, the potential is always there to be really cool, and mm-hmm. I'm sure it will look really cool, yeah. and, you know, they'll have some cool action scenes or something. But, right. um, yeah, I don't know. It would be – it does seem kind of random to just, oh, and now the Savage Land movie. Right. But it's because I'm like, okay, well, who are they going to connect it to? Are they going to connect it to, like, the X-Men or the Avengers or who? Because mm-hmm. the Savage Land is very – it's kind of out there already. Yes. In the Marvel Universe. Yes. It's not really connected to anybody. No. So, but, um, but, yeah, we'll see. I definitely believe this is happening. They're, they're trying to make it happen. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we'll see. I mean, hey, it could be good. Right, right. So. Well, I, I, I am – I'd be okay. I'm fine with the idea. Mm-hmm. I just would hope. My only hope for this would be, if you truly want to make these different genres under mm-hmm. one banner, then you need to start letting them look completely different from each other. Right. And so, if you mm-hmm. do a Savage Land movie, I would really like for it to look just completely different from the yeah. other Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. If you want to. But if you want me to believe these are all separate genres, Stephen, they can't all look the same. And that I think right. that's cuts against this whole argument that oh, these are different genres. Well, why do they all mm-hmm. look identical then? Yeah, like the Savage Land. Like you shouldn't have that weird gray filter over everything. It needs to be like like beautiful and yes. you know. Yes, you might have to shoot outside for some of these. I know that's right. I know that's crazy talk. Yeah. Very crazy. Very but, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I won't be satisfied unless it looks like the opening from 2001: A Space Odyssey, Ooh. where people in the monkey suits and whatnot, and you know all that. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't make these decisions. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. The last bit of MCU news, Stephen, is that the trailer for Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings dropped this week. And it's about a one minute, 58 seconds. It gives us a little look at some of the action that we can expect. We get a look at the style of the movie. And we also get a teaser of a character that we thought was gone, who in fact has come back. Steven, what did you think of this nearly two minute long trailer? 
I thought it was okay. It does look a little more, I guess, kind of up my alley because I like action movies a lot, especially yes. ones that are not made in the United States. Yes, sir. Um, there's a potential that it could be something that I would like. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm always very cautious with these. Oh, yes. Um, it looks like it could be interesting. It looks like it could be a lot of fun. Um, I was um, surprised to see said character. There might be another one that they introduce um, if I'm reading the the giant <laughs> dragon at the bottom of the ocean correctly. I think it, I know, it I looks think I know like, who they might be. It looks like the two characters are the giant dragon, of course, being Fin Fang Foom. Mm-hmm. Which would make sense for this movie, sure. And mm-hmm. the second character that we see at the very end in a cage fight is Abomination, mm-hmm. who we last saw in the Hulk movie forever ago, being played by Tim yeah. Roth. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so oh, that's a blast from the past. That is what. Let, let's take <laughs> Fing Fing Foom. Would you be okay with him being in the movie? I'm okay with it. He's a classic Marvel villain. I would prefer him to be in a. Iron Man movie because he is mm-hmm. undoubtedly tied to Iron Man more than any other character and it's not even remotely close. I know that ethnically and culturally you can stick him in the Shang-Chi movie mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that's where he belongs because he has <laughs> always been an Iron Man character period full stop mm-hmm. end of story. Of course so has the Mandarin. Yeah. He is an iconic the capital I Iron Man character. Period. Mm-hmm. Not debatable. And yeah. yet he's being shoved over in Shang-Chi because uh he's Asian. You know, it's a little a little disappointing to see facile takes on characters like this because mm-hmm. of their skin deep appearances. That's unfortunate. But that yeah. is how Hollywood operates these days. And Anyhow, I like both characters because Iron Man is my favorite comic book of all time. So I'm a big fan of the Mandarin and I'm a big fan of Fing Fing Foom. I want to see both of them in the MCU, just not necessarily in this manner, but it is what it is. I'll leave it at that. I won't complain about it anymore. I'm just going to enjoy seeing them. (laughs) Yeah, it is just kind of funny seeing, um, you know, it's like, well... We couldn't put the Mandarin in Iron Man 3 because the Mandarin is a racist stereotype and that would be offensive and blah, blah, blah. And now he's in here. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they, they're putting in the work, of, I guess. I, I mean, they could always have screwed the pooch and made him incredibly offensive, but I don't I, think so. Right. So he could have been in Iron Man 3 right. as the real Mandarin. Yes, you just would have but, had to have done it yeah. properly. It's mm-hmm. not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's not that hard. Imagine, imagine that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, of, and of course, the abomination. I don't really know what to say about that. It's not a character I was clamoring to see. You know, yeah. maybe, kind of... maybe other people were more desperate for him than I was. I don't know. I, are you shocked by his appearance? Uh, uh, yeah, um, I don't really understand why he's in this movie. No. He looks more like he does in the comics. He does. Interesting. Yes. It's yes. Like, where did that? Where did the fin come from? Yeah. 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 But yeah. Was there? Do you like the idea that they are 
it, it appears that Shang-Chi is getting a power-up in this movie because in the comic books, Shang-Chi is just... Shang-Chi's a guy. Kung Fu master, mm-hmm. right? Straight out yeah. of the 70s mm-hmm. in Kung oh, Fu theater. Yeah. Now, he mm-hmm. may do some things that you're like, wow, that doesn't seem like how Jackie Chan can do things that don't seem real because he's that amazing. Mm-hmm. He can do that, too. But he's yeah. like Jackie Chan, even though he can do amazing things, he's still clearly a man, a human, a right. guy, <laughs> not <Yeah>. a metahuman, <laughs> right? It appears he is getting a mm-hmm. real power up. How do you feel about that? I don't like it. It's not. It's not the character. The, Shang Chi doesn't need a power up. I agree. Shang Chi can kick your ass without any problems. I agree. I totally yeah. agree. It, it would have been like giving Black Widow a power up. Yeah. Don't don't do that. Don't do that. It doesn't need to be yeah. done. Yeah, I'm with mm-hmm. you. I I not a fan of that. Shang Chi is is what makes him awesome is that he's not a metahuman. Mm-hmm. That's what makes him awesome. It's a that's right. People seem to lose this. That that's what makes being a kung fu master so impressive is that a normal human can hone their body and mind to the point where they can do things that seem superhuman. That makes him seem more impressive. Mm-hmm. But if you're just metahuman, okay, well, whatever. Yeah, it's I don't know. I, I feel like they're taking the same approach that they took with what was that that last Mulan movie they did. Yes. I know she's not just a good warrior; she has superpowers. Right. And that movie was awful. So it was. I, I don't know why they decided to go that way again. Yeah, it makes no sense. It, it makes no sense at all. How do you like the look of the trailer? You know, again, it's only two minutes, so you can't right. really tell if this is going to look like a really cool. Hong Kong action movie that you and I adore. That's a type of movie that you and I are huge fans of. Or if it's going to look like your stereotypical MCU trademark movie. Um, that's the thing. From the trailer, it looks like it could be pretty cool yes. looking. Yep. But trailers lie. Oh, you're right about that. A lot. So we could just be looking at the best looking parts and the rest is just kind of boring and blah. That's very possible. So. That's very possible. That is very, mm-hmm. my, my hope is because I bits of the trailer looked really nice. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, ooh, if we're going to go all Hong Kong style action movie, I'm totally down with that. You know, mm-hmm. hey, look, it's OK. Uh, you, you can pay homage to that John Wick. Sure has mm-hmm. and uh, oh, yeah. it doesn't take any way anything away from the movie you don't seem less original it's it's mm-hmm. okay to pay homage to the roots of the type of movie you're making right right so fingers All you crossed have to do is just do it right <laughs> amen fingers crossed even fingers crossed all right that's enough of my mcu talk steven let's get to the heart of the matter shall we let's get right to it infinite frontier numero uno Steven, this comic brought to us by a writer that you and I are both huge, huge, huge fans of, Joshua Williamson. We have been, wow, Steven, since forever, years, years, five years ago, I think you and I were doing podcasts where we were saying, this guy needs big-time work from DC. He needs to be on a headline big event comic. And I'm glad to see DC finally rewarding Williamson for a job well done. Of course, it probably plays a role the fact that DC's like lost all of their other big name writers <laughs> too. So they're running yeah. out of big name writers. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyhow, <laughs> the artist is uh, Zermonico and Steven, 
this comic begins with a spaceship crashing onto Earth 23. And we see President Superman's parents coming across the crashed ship. And inside of it is the Flashpoint Batman. And then we cut to our heroes in the Justice Incarnate battling, oh dear, Steven, it's extant. That's right, it, it's extant. And he has the War Lagog, right? Everyone who has been reading DC Comics Forever will recognize the War Lagog as part of the fourth world mythology created by Jack Kirby. It has an alias, the Philosopher's Stone. It first appeared, Stephen, in Superpowers number five back in 1984. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Wow. Metron is who used it from the mm-hmm. New Gods. Anyhow, it's great to see it. What's great about this scene, Stephen, of course, it's extant. He's got the Warlogog. You know what this is? This is mm-hmm. the beginning of Zero Hour. Yeah, oh, that's right. This is the beginning yeah. of Zero Hour and the <laughs> Justice uh, Incarnate. They're able to stop Zero Hour from occurring on this particular multiple Earth. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool, Stephen. I was a, yeah. a that's a nice nod to DC continuity. I think you know newer readers may not get it, but you don't need to get it to to understand right. the story, right? You just know, oh, it was a big threat to the multiverse and and the time space continuum. And it's been it's been solved. It's really there for new readers to establish. This is what the Justice Incarnate do, right? Mm-hmm. And right. <laughs> and longtime readers can go, oh, zero hour, ah. And it's, it's it was just funny for me because um, because I, I didn't pick up on it the first time. So I'm glad you mentioned it. But it just seemed like a in this re, in this version of reality where everything has happened. So zero hour has happened. Right. And it's just funny the thought of like, nope, we're not doing this again. Nope. <laughs> yes. I thought it was so cool. And uh, this is this is what I consider good use of continuity mm-hmm. because it, it it you don't need to know it to understand the story at all. You don't need to know what the Warlagog is. It's not it's not necessary to understand the story. So this is a good way to write a comic that is still new reader friendly, but still has enough little Easter eggs and little tidbits for longtime DC geeks to be able to read and go, ooh, right, and get excited. So, well done by Williamson. I think he, stri- he, he walks the line well here. Definitely. Our, the Justice Incarnate, of course, then, yay, we're victorious. Alan Scott flies off. It's, he sees his son, Obsidian. And we get a little bit of a recap from Infinite Frontier number zero, where Alan Scott comes out as gay. So I think this is kind of like a little recap for people who maybe have missed number zero. And it's kind of Williamson going, oh, here, don't, don't forget, here it is. And basically, yeah. Alan's been really busy, hasn't, hasn't had enough time to hang out with his kids. His kids are Jade and Obsidian, former members of Infinity, Infinity Inc. Inc. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the father and son fly over to the JSA Brownstone where they're going to be meeting Jade, and suddenly there is this big blast of green energy, kind of like Green Lantern's green energy. Mm-hmm. And they go inside, and they don't see Jade. She has disappeared, Stephen. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So we already got a couple of mysteries going, and we're just beginning this issue. Mm-hmm. We then cut to Perry, 
And who do we see in Gay Paris, Stephen, but Mr. Bones, American. Director Bones to you, sir. Okay. He didn't become the head <laughs> of the Department of Extra Normal Operations to be called Mr. And <laughs> Director Bones is meeting with little-known DC character Cameron Chase. That's right. Mm-hmm. She's... Well, she was, gosh, she was Cameron Chase, Stephen. That's from, when did she first appear? I want to say she first appeared back in the late 90s, I think. She was like, nine. I want to guess 98-ish, 98. Uh, I know she appeared in Batman 550, created by Dan Johnson and J.H. Williams III, who was all over that franchise at that time in the late 90s. Anyhow, it's it, Cam- Cameron Chase is a, a minor character. I don't think a lot of New readers are going to recognize her. So it's an interesting choice by Williamson to pull Cameron Chase into this big event. Uh, Director Bones, I think a lot more readers know Director Bones, of course. I do like the fact that DC is reinstating the Department of Extra Normal Operations. The DEO is a really cool concept. I've always liked them, and I was sad when they got rid of it how about you um i'm glad that they're back as well i mean well of course you know bendis killed it i yeah i know yes <laughs> thanks bendis again thanks yeah but you know now that all that has passed I right. think it is time right you know? and i think it i think it could be interesting to see how they they fit back in now that everybody every you know secret clandestine organization has been destroyed now right. they uh how they fit back into the the new the new universe. Mm-hmm. It's always nice to see Director Bones. Yes, I'm interested to see because I did, I had to look up the Cameron Chase as well as okay. to see why. Not a character you're familiar is. with. Not as familiar. I, um, I've seen her before and right. I recognize the name, but right. I was like, hmm, I wonder who this is. You're not missing much. I mean, she had a ten issue uh, series back in '98. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's it's not a character I would imagine a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, I figure he's got a reason for it. I mean, I remember he brought in his flash run, he brought back, what was it, like a, the, the shade changing man or whatever, yes. the guy with the top hat, he turned into shadows. Yes. I was like, when was the last time anybody had ever seen him? Right. And made it work. So, right. you know, we'll see. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see. see. Where it uh, Dr. Bowen's big thumbs up for me, Cameron Chase. Eh, we'll see. It's not a character I really care about per se, but maybe Williamson has something interesting in store for her character and, you know, it'll pay off. So I trust the guy. We then cut to Flashpoint Batman waking up at the headquarters of the Justice Incarnate and in front of him, you have the various members of the Justice Incarnate, including uh, the President Obama Superman cosplay character from Multiversity. And you've got Earth 5 Mary Marvel. That is the classic version, the classic Fawcett Comics version of Mary Marvel. You have the Earth 8 Machine Head, again from Multiversity. You have the Earth 11 Aqua Woman. And you have the Earth 26 Captain Carrot. They're all there to greet Flashpoint Batman as he wakes up. This appears, Stephen, to be the team that we are going to follow for the majority of Infinite Frontier. 
what do you think of this team? Let's break it down one by one, okay? Because since these will be our, I believe, will be the main characters we're going to be dealing with, it appears. Let's start with Machine Head of Earth 8. It is obviously, when Multiversity came out, this was an Iron Man copy. Mm -hmm. I generally, you know, look, I'm going to say right now, I adore everything about Mark Grunewald's Squadron Supreme. Mm -hmm. It is fantastic. Uh, I also have fond feelings for the the Shi'ar Imperial Guard who were all created by legendary Legion of Superheroes artist Dave Cockrum. Mm-hmm. And I like the, 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 the connection between the two. That's cool, no doubt. But in general, in general, Stephen, I'm not a massive fan of when Marvel or DC introduces a carbon copy of their competitor's big name character. It often falls short for me. And so Machine Head, I had zero interest in when Morrison rolled out the multiversity. And I still have zero interest in that character. How about you? I can't even remember how he was written in Ultimacity. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I he think he looks cool. If that's the if that's the Iron Man clone, which one? Well, you can just look at him and tell yeah, him you can tell what it is. Right. I, that's the thing. I don't know. I'd have to see what they do with them. I'm generally not a big fan of the of clones either, except for Squadron Supreme. Right. It's done, right. right. That's the exception but, that makes um, the rule, though. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. We'll see. The problem with this section is it shows short that you don't really get right. an idea of who you just see. Just look at them and you yes. see, okay, well, this is, this is who the characters are, but we don't see, we don't hear him talk. I think right. except but once. Right. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much like Iron Man he actually is <laughs> as a character. So if he's right. going around, you know, drinking it up and, you know, a total cooch out. Shooting rockets at terrorists or something, <laughs> then, then I'll have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Earth-11 Aquaman? This character, again, from Multiversity, kind of a uh, mm-hmm. swing and a miss with me. It Aquaman, I mean, I hate to say it, outside of Peter David, not the most interesting character. <laughs> so I, this character, just kind of like generic Aquaman, but gender-swapped. Eh, she's... Doesn't do much for me. How about for you? Yeah, yeah, kind of the same. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, not so exciting. Uh, I will, then we'll go to Mr. Obama, cosplaying as Superman. Never liked this Mm -hmm. character either. That's really for, I would say, on principle, I think we have all learned after four years of President Trump that the cult of personality is a very dangerous thing mm-hmm. sycophant views of politicians is very mm-hmm. dangerous as well and taking any president past or present and doing this with them is bordering on cult of personality and sycophantic behavior especially one who murdered hundreds of innocent people over in the middle east with more drone strikes in his first year than baby Bush did in his entire run as president. Mm -hmm. I just think maybe you want to avoid slapping the big red S on any president. It is a dirty job full of usually dirty people. And we Mm -hmm. don't need to be encouraging sycophantic cult of personality behavior, especially after four 
horrible years of Trump. So I am not a fan of this style character. It could be any president, Stephen, any president, not just it could be any of them. I just don't think Mm -hmm. it's a smart thing to do. I think it's a little dangerous and we learned why it's dangerous the past four years. So (laughs) I'm not a fan of the character on principle, but sir, you may differ. Uh, What do you think about this character? (laughs) Well, I need to remove my Martin Van Buren Superman clone from my uh, <laughs> from my uh, upcoming upcoming works. Grover Cleveland. Be, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, uh, There's two of them. That's the trick. Yes. You know, the, 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 there you go. That's right. Um, <laughs> I thought at the time when it came out, I thought it was about. I mean, I don't, I don't like the lionization of any president, nope. really. I mean, even the, you know, the mythical founding fathers. Nope. You know, they, nope. They were people. They yep. messed up just like everybody else. Yep. Um, well, they, they had some screw ups that were really bad. Yep. But, you know. <laughs> um, so when I first saw it, I was like, well, it was a one off, you know. Right. Whatever. Yeah. It's it's cute. I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's cute. It's a bad word for it, but you know. <laughs> but. I was like, if you were going to bring him back, then you need to make him not look like Obama. Uh, yes, still agreed. Have yes. made that happen, so yes. I, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that. No. The only thing that could save it at this point is if they do not like have him act like Obama in any way, or speak right. like him. Yes, and make it make it seem like a coincidence or something like that. Right. You know. Agreed. So, yeah, he looks like him, but he's not him. You know, that's the only thing that could save it for me. I'm with Ooh. you on that. I'm with you on that. Then we have, of course, the classic Fawcett Comics Mary Marvel. I adore her mm-hmm. character. I love the Shazam family. I love the classic Fawcett Comics Captain Marvel and all of mm-hmm. the various Marvels. So I love seeing Mary Marvel on this team. Big, big, big thumbs up for me. How about you? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I am kind of disappointed that it's not Earth S Mary yes. Marvel. Yes. But that's okay. Yes. I'll be okay with that. Stephen, I'm a little disappointed it's not Final Crisis, Mary Marvel, who still remains I, my most favorite version. Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it because she was all in black and acted like a stripper or something? Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, that, that, was, that, was a, that was a personal favor Grant Morrison did for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm forever indebted to him. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly, Stephen, we have Captain Carrot from Earth-26, who I also adore. I am a huge, no lie, Stephen, I'm not being <laughs> ironic, I am a huge fan of Captain Carrot and the amazing Zucru. I love them. I, I, I remember them as a kid. They, gosh, Stephen, they first appeared in New Teen Titans, number 16, back in 1982. That's right. Yeah, Roy mm-hmm. Thomas created them. And uh, <laughs> Scott Shaw, I think those were the two creators for that for that franchise, and they even had their own they even had their own title in '82. Stephen, it was great. They you saw it was a teaser in it, they weren't like a part of the story of Teen Titans. It was it was an insert in, in the new Teen Titans number sixteen, right? And next month came the first issue of Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew. So you got the, you got the teaser in Teen Titans. Like, oh, this looks hilarious. And then boom, next month out comes Captain Carrot. I mean, he's just awesome. I don't, how do you not like Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew? I, I don't know how you have to have a, a cold black heart, Steven. I mean, come on. You have characters like pig iron. You got Ali cat Abra. Oh, uh, you have 
Fastback, Rubber Duck, Yankee Poodle, <laughs> Little Cheese, the sidekick, Little Cheese, and of course, the American Eagle. <laughs> of course, <laughs> yes. Oh, it's just <laughs> awesome. Anyhow, they originally were on Earth C. Mm-hmm. That was where they originally were on before Christ of Infinite Earth. Anyhow, it's it's Earth twenty six in multiversity, but it's it's Captain Carrot. He's he's the same guy. He is more uh, buffed up than I remember, but I love 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 Captain Carrot. I like these kind of characters anyway. I like this kind of thing. Whenever you see comics do this kind of thing, I love it. Stephen, how about you? I think his presence definitely sells that. Yes, this is a multiversity a multiverse. <laughs> oriented title <laughs> <laughs> no so doubt right no is going to be some some fun and maybe some silliness but like not bad silliness, you know, good silliness. <laughs> yes sir okay all right so back to the story our <laughs> justice incarnate characters kind of say all right flashpoint batman what's going on flashpoint batman's like look i i i i, I you got to get the flash and Super, uh, President Superman's like, well, which which Flash? Flashpoint Batman goes, Barry Allen. There's a pause. And then uh, Mr. Obama says, which one? Yes, really, really, this is Williamson, Stephen. This is Williamson really hammering home the, the awesome, infinite possibilities of the DCU multiverse, right? Not just we have multiple Flashes. It's which Barry Allen do you want to have? It's... I think this is it was very effective. I like the I like the one panel where there's no response from Mr. Obama as he's mulling the White House press uh, question. And <laughs> before he answers, it really accentuates it's good delivery, Steve. It's good construction. It really emphasizes the scope of what we're dealing with. I thought this was so effective in such a concise way. How about you? Oh, I did too. I thought it was well, I thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, which is also was awesome. I like the way that he uses the humor as well as yes. an important, like, you know, the use it as a point to, well, right. That is a good question because right. remember what we're dealing with here. I thought it was very well delivered. Williamson's always been very good at that though. Oh, absolutely agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we cut away from that scene, Stephen, and we cut to none other than Barry Allen. Nice little segue mm-hmm. there by Williamson. And, <laughs> This is our Barry, which is from Earth Zero. Mm-hmm. So that's our Barry, the main Barry. And he mm-hmm. is exploring the known multiverse. And he's kind of, you know, researching. And, and you see him run through, boy, Stephen, he runs through Earth 2. And we see the Huntress, right? He runs through Earth 6. And we see a variant of Wonder Woman who all, looks great. She's got a cool costume. She's got, Stephen, anytime a, a woman pulls off a gold metal bustier that's a thumbs up in my opinion and so <laughs> and a giant oversized weapon yes please and so he then race, races through earth 9 and we see some of the elseworld characters the elseworld green lantern and and whatnot there he runs through earth 13 and we see jack kirby's the demon there he runs mm-hmm. through Earth 51, and we see Commandy. Woo! And he runs through Earth 42, and it's all like the little chibi baby versions <laughs> of the DC characters, right? And yep. then he goes through Earth 
or 30, which is the, the Red Sun, Superman, the Russian, uh, the USSR, mm-hmm. Superman, and then Earth-22, Earth which is the Kingdom Come mm-hmm. characters. And so he's able to basically, Barry's like, look, he's, he's trying to map out as much as he can, and he's figured out that if he vibrates while he runs, he can, he can gather up enough to go through the known multiverse and enter the mystery world because there's this mystery world that has been teased that they don't know anything about right so barry's finally been able to figure out how to vibrate just right to get to this mystery world well when he gets to this mystery world steven eh, things are not so good there my friend oh no there we see unfortunately it looks it looks a little apocalyptic steven and we come across a crime scene and we see the quintessents all have been killed right Mm -hmm. and oh dear that's a big deal because you're talking about some of the biggest heavy hitters in the dcu steven so this Mm -hmm. really this is a good job setting up wow who are we dealing with what kind of force are we dealing with this is this is a really big deal you know anyone who can Mm -hmm. take out the quintessence is going to be able to be a tough villain for our heroes in the Justice Incarnate to fight. And for people that don't remember, the Quintessence includes the Greek goddess Hera, Phantom Stranger, the Wizard from Shazam, mm-hmm. High Father from Fourth World, Ganthet from Green Lantern Corps, and the Spectre. So that's about as heavy hitters you're going to get, right? Mm-hmm. And they've all been killed by Darkseid. We know that already. They're not hiding it. It's on the cover of the issue. You see Darkseid. I mean, I, I, yeah, honestly, Stephen, I don't mind a good mystery. But you know what? I'm mm-hmm. perfectly fine with the fact that Williamson has decided not to hide the identity of the main villain of the story. I don't think you always right. have to do that on a big event. I know that that has mm-hmm. been done on a lot of big events in the past, and that's cool. And I'm, I, I, But I don't think it is necessary at all, and I certainly don't ding Williamson at all for deciding not to do that. How about you? What do you think about mm-hmm. that decision? Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I not I don't. Not only do I think that's not a bad thing that he didn't do that. I think it actually makes Darkseid seem more like a threat. Yes, that agreed. He was able to do something like that. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So Barry is shocked at what he sees, and then suddenly Stephen and I. And we'll go to the, we talk about the art. We're, we're going to do that end at the end. But this was the favorite. This next page is, I thought, the best art of the issue. Because Barry looks up, someone off-panel starts talking to him, and Barry looks up, you get Silver Age-style-looking Barry Allen, and then Bronze Age-style Barry Allen, and then 90s-style Barry Allen, and then the current style that this artist uses. Really effective to show how space and time are getting manipulated, right? And this is important because the camera pans back and this person from off panel is telling him, is telling Barry, I'm glad you're the first visitor. You know, you and I have both been down this path before. We've witnessed a a great crisis before. You know, even after you triumphantly came back from the dead, you never tried to find me. And we pan back and it's Psycho Pirate. You kind of knew, at least I was thinking when I was reading those words, I'm like, well, the only person I can think of who witnessed the crisis and remembered it is Psycho Pirate. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it is Psycho Pirate standing there. But he has a new costume, Stephen. 
He is now wearing a Dark Side style logo on his costume. He has obviously received a serious power up from mm-hmm. his master, right? Steven, I just I think this is awesome. I am really glad that Williamson is using Psycho Pirate's character. I think this is crucial for Infinite Frontier with all the continuity that Williamson is working with. By reinstating the pre-original Crisis on Infinite Earths DCU, like what they're obviously doing, with some tweaks, but obviously that's what they're doing. You need to have Psycho Pirate. He is the one who, he is the only character, Stephen, at the end of the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, he's the only character who remembered the Crisis event. He's the only one. Mm-hmm. And it drove him insane. And he ended up getting locked up in an insane, at, at, at Arkham Asylum. And Grant Morrison, who always hated the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, was never shy about it. He hated it. He thought it was a mistake then. And I think that man has spent his entire career at DC trying to rectify that one mistake. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I wouldn't say so. No doubt, right? (laughs) And he started, Stephen, honestly, he started doing that the the year after the original Crisis on Infinite Earths ended with his run on Animal Man. And if people haven't Mm -hmm. read it, do not just go to the internet and read the Wikipedia for Grant Morrison's Animal Man, for Christ's sake. Yeah. You are not getting the story. Trust me when I tell you the Wikipedia page for that is not the story. And it's mm-hmm. not entirely accurate either, by the way, like a lot of Wikipedia yeah. is. <laughs> Go read it for yourself. It is, to this day, in my humble opinion, still the best DC multiverse story that there is, that you're going to get. It's what Grant Morrison did on Animal Man. And in there, Psychopire reappears and steven did you ever read that run i did yeah okay was it not amazing what grant morrison did with psycho pirate uh yes it was and when i read it i didn't know i didn't know at the time that it had come out just after crisis on infinite earth right so i learned that as the years went on that right. just that just makes it more impressive to me yeah. it shows really you know that's yes. really why he, it was more Morrison's argument why it was a mistake to get rid of it. And it's a compelling argument, I think. Yes. And, and, you read that. And really, Grant Morrison's Animal Man dealing with the multiverse, dealing with Psycho, it was Grant Morrison's, it was absolutely his, his position, his thesis on why DC had made a mistake. I don't think I'm overstating it, am I? No. Okay. Definitely not. And, and in that story, Psycho Pirate ends up releasing characters who were destroyed during the crisis, original crisis. He ends up mm-hmm. bringing these characters back into the world, right? And what's great about it, it's, this, is, this is so Grant Morrison where he's been dealing with the, with the concept of modern comics not just being reality, but being stories. Right. Stories. And all the characters that are brought back realize, Stephen, that they're just characters in a comic book. <laughs> 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 and eventually, you know, Animal Man solves the problem, defeats Psycho Pirate, and all these forgotten characters kind of, you know, they, they dissipate, right? And mm-hmm. Psycho Pirate also dissipates, but they don't disappear entirely. They go to comic book limbo. Right. Where all characters, and this is why, and this is Grant Morrison's theory of why characters come back to life, right? Because mm-hmm. comic book characters can't die. When they're not used anymore, they go to comic book mm-hmm. limbo, and there they sit until someone is ready to tell their story again, and they're pulled back out of comic book limbo and put back into a story. It, I, 
I'm just going to geek out now. I, I just think it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really glad to see Williamson bringing Psycho Pirate in because really, and, and, and he even says here in the story, he has Psycho Pirate, uh, uh, you, you have Darkseid tell Psycho Pirate, you may toy with Flash after you fulfill your promise, Psycho Pirate. Remember your new role in this story. Again, we go back to the theme of stories, that these are stories. And go back to Grant Morrison's theme, and I'm glad to see Williamson turning to Grant Morrison as his base in which to build this new infinite frontier, because I think that is the best place to go to. What, what, do, what do you think about continuing the theme um, of stories? I definitely agree with that. I th- because it, it that gives me like flashbacks to like the the Superman Beyond part of Final Crisis where yep. that was very much about stories yes. and Superman's part and the, the the multiverse story and yep. whatnot. I think that's really cool. I'm glad to see it. I think and I think Williamson has something that that Snyder does as well where he he very much plays with high concepts, but yes. Um, I, he's not as impenetrable as Grant Morrison is to yeah, agreed. most readers. Agreed. Yes. Which I think is a very, is a definitely a winning combination. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And here, Psycho Pirate tells Barry Allen that there's a new crisis coming, except this time Psycho Pirate and Barry Allen are going to be on the same team and Barry's going to help them find something or should he say someone. Uh-oh, Steven. Mm. We then cut to a diner. Some youths are there, Steven, talking about the most recent <laughs> crisis event. And now, now it appears that the multiverse is, for the first time, Stephen, common knowledge. Now, this is different mm-hmm. than the multiverse, the original multiverse pre-Crisis on Infinite Earths. It was right. never common knowledge. A select few superheroes knew about it, and that was it. Now it is out in the open. It is common knowledge knowledge that is an interesting new wrinkle we see that roy harper is there listening in on the conversation we see a guy there who is denying the existence of the multiverse i don't know if this is some type of post-covid 19 uh commentary where you know we got a pandemic and you got people who deny the pandemic or maybe post Mm -hmm. the presidential election where we had an election and some people are denying that it was real don't know if that's what it is. It's interesting nonetheless, and I think we've learned from the pandemic, Stephen, that nothing, no event, no catastrophe, no horrible occurrence will ever unite the people on this planet or this country, period, end of story. Mm-hmm. That myth, the myth of Alan Moore's Watchmen has yeah. been proven wrong. No event could ever unite the people of this country. It will never mm-hmm. happen, and the multiverse is no exception. So I actually kind of like that. It, 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 it grounds it in what, you know, we're old America. Mm-hmm. I kind of actually like this. I thought that was kind of a, a neat touch. Yeah, I did too. And Roy, uh, he's, he's sitting there having his coffee when suddenly, boom, the wall explodes and in walks a brand new character called X dash tracked. Like, mm-hmm. yes, like she was a 1990s Rob Liefeld character, Stephen. Don't like that name. That is so There's 1990s a, Rob Liefeld. There's it's a lot not, of 90s in this issue. <laughs> yes, there is, sir. That that is as that is as 1990s Rob Liefeld as you get. Her hairstyle is as 1990s Rob Liefeld as you can get. The visor, mm-hmm. 
the same thing, the overcoat, the trench coat. It, it, this is so 1990s Rob Liefeld from look to name, horrible. That is a terrible beginning for a new character. That is a terrible debut for a new character for me. I immediately go, cheese, don't want it. Hit the reject button. But you might like it, Stephen. What do you think of this new character, Extract? I mean, I... Look, if it if it was if if this issue had been written by Rob Liefeld, then I would have probably just well, I would have chucked it probably in the first couple of pages. But um, but because it's not written by him, yes. I like I don't know. I just have this feeling that like we're gonna get like some kind of commentary. Yes. Okay. It, you know. All right. All right. And because she's not in it for very long, no. so we don't know. Nope. We but don't. We don't. I just think it's she looks it's so gloriously bad 90s it is there has to be a reason for it there has to be (laughs) one one would hope uh so extract is there with a couple of armed soldiers they're there because roy harper is does not belong in this world and must be removed so we get a big battle the armed guys are shooting at roy and suddenly we see from outside the diner a giant, bla- I mean, giant, monster-sized black mm-hmm. fist punching extract out of the ceiling and through the <laughs> air, right? And then we see a bunch of glowing black figures, well, black figures outlined with, like, a white light marching toward the armed guards and, bam, smashing them outside of the diner, right? And when the smoke mm-hmm. clears, Roy stands up, and he's like, hey, whoever you are, thanks. And he stands up, and he looks down, and he goes, uh oh, Roy! What have you gotten yourself into? Roy Harper is wearing a Black Lantern outfit, wielding a Black Lantern powering, and he has created mm-hmm. Black Lantern energy constructs of Speedy, mm-hmm. of Arsenal, of Red Arrow, of Outsiders. Roy Harper. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, Stephen! That is the end of the issue. What did you think of that bombshell? I thought that was so cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was so, yeah. it was completely unexpected, but as soon as, like, and I didn't really, well, because, you know, after Blackest Night, I kind of forgot about that stuff. <laughs> yes. So when all that was happening, I was like, oh, okay, is there another ran- rando force that just appeared to save Roy Harper? It's like, no, he's yes. the guy. And he's, he's because they talked about him not belonging in the land of the living. Yes. Which is, I guess, a l- nice little subtle, now that I think about it, is a subtle like little foresight to what's going to happen. Right. And I don't know, dude. I thought that was really cool. That's a great way to end the issue because it's literally oh, yeah. another thing that they've brought back. And I'm That's... like, where does all this stuff fit in? I, I have to know. I oh, have to know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I I absolutely geeked out with this ending, Stephen. I mean, I absolutely flipped out. <laughs> I was jumping up and down out of my seat, screaming and yelling, squealing like I was 10 years old again. This was, I mean, Williamson, hats off to you. This is how you end an mm-hmm. issue in style. And just, <laughs> I mean, because Roy Harper, you knew, had to play some kind of important role in mm-hmm. the story since he just mysteriously came back from the dead. Right. And 
And he's on the cover. And he's on the cover. And the introduction, <laughs> the introduction of the Black Lantern power rings. I mean, just what? What? I, I it's it's awesome. It's awesome. It is incredibly awesome. I can't I, I just can't I can't get enough of it. What do you think is going on? We know in metal. Did it suggest that there was a Roy Harper who was living and one that was a black that was conjured up by the Black Lantern power ring at the end when Batman raised all the characters as Black Lanterns? I think so. I don't think they really called attention to it. Um, they may. I think at the end, like they showed that he was alive somehow, but they didn't indicate that he was. Um, that he was resurrected in that way. Okay. That it was, okay. it seemed like a regular resurrection. Okay. Like, oh, he's alive again. <laughs> right. I, I think okay. is what happened. Okay. All right. But yeah. What about, so that, you and I both love the ending. I, I can't yes. wait to learn more about this. I think this is just mm-hmm. so cool. Just so cool. We've got several mysteries. Williamson does a wonderful job, Steven, setting up multiple mysteries just with one issue. The first mystery, mm-hmm. of course, is what plans do Darkseid and uh, and Psycho Pirate have for Barry Allen? What do they need mm-hmm. him for, and who are they looking for? That's number one. That's the first mystery. Second mystery is why is the Flashpoint Batman looking for Barry Allen in particular? Number two, right? Second mystery. Third mystery is what was the green-tinged explosion that took out the JSA's old headquarters, and what happened to Jade? That's your third mystery. What is Director Bones up to, and why is he trying to blackmail Cameron Chase into re-upping with the DEO? That's fourth mystery. Who is X-Extract, and who does she work for? What? She's some kind of, obviously some kind of time-space cop, or time-space bounty hunter, or something like that, right? So, learning more about who she works for. The sixth mystery, of course, is Roy Harper and him being a black Lantern. I mean, that's a lot of mysteries to deliver in your debut issue, Stephen. That's a lot, and it never feels rushed or hurried. That's pretty impressive. Yes, it does. It's um, well, you're a good writer. He he peppers a lot of um stuff in there. It doesn't feel like, well, I don't want to say it doesn't completely feel like setup, but you know, it does like you know it's these little points that are like, all right. I'm going to get you to come back here right. and here and here. Right. Yeah. It's uh, he somehow manages to do that without making it feel like manufactured almost. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. I think he did. It's a wonderful... really cool. Yeah. I think this is a lot of mysteries. Steven, this is, this is amazing plotting. I think he, he, mm-hmm. he establishes multiple mysteries that are all interesting to me, at least to varying degrees, yeah. but I find them all to be interesting and he installs mm-hmm. them in a concise fashion, in a quick fashion, without seeming sloppy or hurried at all. It's really good plotting. Mm-hmm. So I, I love the structure of the issue. I think it's fantastic. The writing is top-notch, in my opinion. The dialogue is solid. The pacing is good. The scenes weave together just fine, even though we've got a bunch of separate mysteries, you can kind of tell there's an overarching theme kind of pulling all these separate mysteries under one umbrella. And mm-hmm. so I think from a technical standpoint, very well paced, very well plotted, just a well written issue. 
and it gets me excited to come back for more. And I think it appeals to longtime readers just as much as brand new readers. And I think it is as new reader friendly as a big event possibly can get. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think well, it does a lot of the the things that you kind of have to do with this because I mean, the Infinite Frontier number zero that was a, that was six months ago, right? So that was that was a while yes. back. So you know, it does the work and introduces all the main characters again. Yep, it gives you enough about them to either be able to recognize them, so you know who they are, right? And you know their part in the mystery. You know what's going on with Alan Scott. Mm-hmm. and Obsidian, of course. And I like that they... <laughs> that scene I really liked a lot in particular because... And this is something Williamson does really well. Is he does a lot with a little, where when Obsidian is talking to him about like everything that's been going on, and Alan Scott says, oh, you mean when I came out? And then it goes into a recap of what's happened, and right. Obsidian goes... No, I mean, <laughs> right. Yes. Everything that happened with the multiverse. Yep. And not all, like it's a good reminder yep. that yes, Alan Scott came out. Yep. It's a good segue to a recap and it's also funny. Right. You know, yes. where he says, "Oh, you mean this?" thinking like, you know, like the dad and thinking like, right. "Oh, it's, you know, it's what's going on with the family." It's like, "No, it's the fact that, you know, we had all this stuff just happen and yep. multiverse yep. and blah blah blah." And I, I laughed when I read that. I thought that yes. was pretty funny. <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. What do you think of the cast of characters that are going to be starring? Are you, are you, do you think we're going to get more? Or do you think we're going to stick with only who we get in this first issue? Or do you think Williamson maybe has a few more surprises up his sleeve, is going to mix in some other characters? Are we really going to have a big event, Steven, without <laughs> the big red S? And Batman, I'm talking our Batman, our yeah, big red ass, our Wonder Woman. Like, are we really going to have a big event without the the, the the Holy Trinity? I don't know. Um, that's a good question. I feel like, well, I definitely think we're going to have some surprises. Yep. Um, he, Williamson is definitely the, the master of the end of the issue hook. Oh, yeah. Which is usually a surprise. Yep. So I think we might we might see them, but I don't think they're gonna be the main they're obviously not gonna be the main focus. Right. Um I think it'll be the main people will be the ones we see, but there might be some rallying of the troops, so right. to speak, and you'll see Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman play a part in that. Well, I definitely, because because what's what's happening, it makes it so much more. You know, you want to see how they react to certain like Batman and the Flashpoint Batman yep. still being around. Yep. Which I thought he was disposed of in the Tom King Batman run, but now he's back, right, in a rocket ship on another Earth. Yes. And it's like, well, where did that? Where did he come from? I don't understand. <laughs> oh man, that's so. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It is. It is. And what I'm also excited about, Stephen, is on the cover of Infinite Frontier number one, it says one of six. That's right. Just six mm-hmm. issues. Get to the story. Get it going. You don't need eight. You don't need ten. Yep. You don't need twelve. You don't need six 12. issues is all you need for a big event. I really like that because we already know that Williamson's great at plotting and pacing mm-hmm. as it is. So seeing six issues on the cover just makes me so excited. Yeah. I... Very pleased with what we got at Infinite Frontier number one. Very pleased. Before we go to our conclusion off, you know, with this issue, what did you think of Zermonico's artwork? I'll go first, so I'm not mm-hmm. you know setting you up for a trap or anything. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's fine. 
It's fine. Mm-hmm. Look, it's not my preferred style of art. It's not. It doesn't sure. mean that other people won't like it way more than me. They very well might. It is not what I prefer. It is not what I expect on a big event comic mm-hmm. either. When I get a big event comic, I expect very glossy, detailed, slick art. That's what I expect. Yeah. And that is not at all what we get. The mm-hmm. detail is eh, eh. Yeah. It's there sometimes. It's not there sometimes. Sometimes plan panels look a little, a little hurried, a little rough. The scale of the art's not particularly big. It's not terribly detailed. It's not very slick. It's not very... It doesn't look like what I would expect on a big event with some real mm. high-end art. It, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. Not bad. Mm. It is perfectly fine. So it doesn't never gets in the way of the story, but I don't think yeah. it ever kicks that story up a notch like... George Perez's art did on the original Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it never does that. It doesn't kick it up a notch. Like, say, you know, Doug Mankey, mm-hmm. his art during Final Crisis, I mm-hmm. thought really, yeah. I thought really kicked the story up a notch. Artists like that that I'm thinking really do well on big event stories. And mm-hmm. I just don't see Zermonico's artwork. It, it's kind of like that, tear down style art mm-hmm. for me at least it's perfectly fine but for a big sure. event i want art that really boom really punches the story up and really brings it to life in vivid fa- vivid fashion and right. i don't think this ever does and i don't think the colors help any either steven the colors mm-hmm. are kind of dull and dark mm-hmm. it's just not as vibrant as I want a big event to be, but that's just me. A lot of people may yeah. adore this art and that is totally cool. How about you? Mm-hmm. Well, I also agree that it's, um, that overall it's fine. I think there are some parts that really, um, kind of pop to me. Like mm-hmm. I love like the stuff on earth Omega, especially psycho pirates costume. Yes. I thought was really Ooh. cool. looking. Yes. Um, yes. the ending with Roy Harper, I thought was a very nice, like kind of like, mm-hmm stunning like oh crap like kind of pops out at you kind of image yeah i do agree i do agree it's very um especially on um that's thing i don't know if it's more my problem is more that the colors don't really pop or that it's not as detailed maybe Mm -hmm. as something i was you know i was thinking like yvonne rius or um um jason fabok or oh yes 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 or dale eaglesham or something like that yeah yeah yeah, but yeah um I think it's like I think it's okay. I didn't look at anything and think that it was bad. You know, it was just uh, yeah. It doesn't really feel like big event artwork. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'll yep. just say that. Agreed. Not bad, just not like you know. This is like you want your top tier, right? You know, someone try to get George Perez on the phone again because this is important. <laughs> right, right. But agreed. Eh. It's okay. I'd yep. rather not. I'd rather not be bad, man. It's not bad. It's just. It's just. It's all right. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. What are your final thoughts and your uh, grade for Infinite Frontier number one? Well, the art. I think I'll. It'll be pretty easy. That'll be. I'll give that a six. I think it's fine. It's not bad. It's just. I guess my expectations are kind of elevated for a big event, especially one of multiversal proportions. Mm-hmm. But you know, it had some good some good parts to it. That's why I didn't give it a five. Right. 
And for the writing, I'm going to give an eight. I mm-hmm. think it's very good. Yep. It does what it has to do. It sets up, well, it sets everything up. Yep. You know, it uses, it's very efficient with his, with his time and mm-hmm. his, um, his dialogue. Very impressive. It's kind of a textbook first issue. Yes. To me. Yes. I'll definitely give it an eight. You know, I didn't like cry or find some <laughs> profound realization about myself, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think he did. A, he did a great job with it. So right. yeah, I'll give it an, I'll give it an eight. Yep. Uh, I, I'm right there with you. Actually. I, and you know, I, I can't prove this Steven in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not a video podcast. I didn't video myself writing down my scores before this podcast, but damn it. Mm-hmm. I did write them down before. And yeah, Steven, Oh my God. I gave it the art six night girls out of 10 and the writing yeah. eight night girls out of 10. I swear I did. This is people have to understand. This is not planned. This is yeah, not planned. It is definitely not planned. Uh, <laughs> and for the pretty much the same reasons that, mm-hmm. that you give And while the writing is good, it, it, it did feel like, you know, kind of like the standard issue opening issue. And that's mm-hmm. why I gave it eight and I didn't go up to a nine or a 10, despite a lot of it that I liked. Yeah. I, I do, Stephen, going forward, have uh, this first issue has set my expectations high, though. Mm-hmm. It has. I, I think we are in store for a really fun and exciting big event. How about you? I think so, too. I can't. I can't. I can't wait. Yeah. Is this? Yeah. Let me ask you this. I know you've you've fallen out of love. Maybe not fallen out of love. That's a strong word. You have fallen out of interest a bit with comics recently, and I know I have too. Mm-hmm. More so with Marvel than DC, mm-hmm. but both of us have had our our interests wane over the past. I would say really. I would say, I don't want to speak totally for you, Stephen, but I think it's mm-hmm. over the past two years that we've seen a, a dip in our mm-hmm. interest based on my talks with you. Yeah. And does that sound right to you? Yeah, I would say so. And so does this Infinite Frontier big event, is what we're getting, is the world that Williamson is unveiling for us, do you feel more interested or more excited about diving into some DC comics going forward after this big event has concluded? Um, I mean, I guess it, it depends on how it ends, of course. But um, I think so, yeah. Um, even the stuff that like I wasn't super interested in, like, you know, uh, Wonder Woman is now in the Norse mythology. Like, that to me, it's like, okay, well, at least it's something different you know i can see it like kind of popping out at somebody and going oh okay that's really cool i want to try to get that i feel like they're really trying to to push kind of the the boundaries a little of like okay we're back to big ideas we've Mm -hmm. got big characters Mm -hmm. we're doing something fun and different um we're not taking ourselves too seriously this is what comics are all about yep this is why I love this is why I love Scott Snyder's run on Justice League. Yeah, um, God, yes. I thought it had it yeah. had all of that. It was yeah. fun. It was exciting. It was interesting. And that doesn't mean that I you know I don't like stuff that's a little more serious or a little more emotional or whatnot. But for comics like this, superhero comics, this is what I want. And I know you know it's not going to be like that all the time, hundred percent right. all the time, and that's fine. But when it comes to stuff like this, the big stuff the stuff that's supposed to hook you in for the next year or two of their universe. Mm-hmm. 
It has to be like that. It has mm-hmm. to really get you and make you, you know, see things like Roy Harper is back, but he's a Black Lantern, and go, oh, my God, like, I have to know what happens next. That's yes. so important. And I think with this, um, I am very – I want to see what happens if they have any, like, um, other titles that are attached to it. I want to see yep. what happens there because yep. I think that would be really cool. Mm-hmm. So, And I've never said that about a big event. Yeah, no. I, yeah, you and I are – generally lockstep with the fact mm-hmm. that we're not crazy about uh, uh, tie-in issues and spin-off yeah. you know titles of big events generally we just mm-hmm. just tell me a good story in the big event don't make me buy all these ancillary titles that I really don't want that usually don't offer much in the way of excellent content for your for your money <laughs> yeah. right but I'm with you I would actually be interested in some Mm-hmm. ancillary titles to infinite frontier and i gotta say i am more intrigued and interested in what dc comics has going on going forward mm-hmm. and i think that marvel comics could learn something from dc comics mm-hmm. i think dc comics is actually offering up not just more entertaining and more Mm -hmm. fun and better quality stories, but they're also able to diversify their lineup in a Mm -hmm. fashion that never gets longstanding fans like you and I out of sorts. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because they have the multiverse. Right. It's the perfect vehicle for this. Okay, mm-hmm. let, we want to do something different with the Batman franchise. Let's go to Earth 82. Mm-hmm. We want to do something totally different. Just totally blow up the Superman franchise and do something radically different. Let's go to Earth 17. Longstanding fans like you and I, we won't get all pissed off. We won't mm-hmm. get all irritated. And yet we get to read some cool stories that are totally different from what we mm-hmm. normally get. Yeah. It's a win-win, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, that was, was like you can look at our reactions to the char- the House of Heroes characters. You know, yep. the President Obama, Superman, and Aquawoman, and the not Iron Man, Iron Man. Yep. And it's not our reactions weren't. Oh my God, I can't believe you know they killed off Superman right. just to put in this version. It's like no, our Superman is still out there. Our Aquaman and our well, in Marvel's Iron Man, it's still <laughs> but you know, it it allows you to tell other stories with other characters and other perspectives because they are out there in the multiverse. You just go and you find them and you tell those stories. And if people connect, then you know that's great. If not, then okay, you know you tried, and you can go somewhere else. That right. was what Elseworlds was so good at right. back in the day, right? Yep, as well. I mean, it seems it seems so simple, yep. you know. <laughs> I mean, it really it, does. It seemed like after Hickman left the Avengers, that they were going to come back to that someday. Yes, because he had the Fantastic Four, you know, exploring and rebuilding the multiverse, yep. and it seems that they've just completely abandoned that now. Yes, you could yeah. have pulled off what they wanted to do with all new, all different Marvel. You could have pulled mm-hmm. that off seamlessly with yeah. the multiverse and having mm-hmm. that take all those characters take place on 
different multiverses and leaving right. the 616 universe alone, and you would have pissed off exactly zero fans. I guess mm-hmm. you're always going to piss off some weirdos, but well, screw them. Yeah. They don't count, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, y- yeah, you wouldn't have pissed off the overwhelming majority of the fans that you did piss off. Mm-hmm. And you would have had some interesting new stories and new characters. And you know what? If they flamed out, who cares? They're in a separate universe. Yeah, they don't affect the 616 mm-hmm. universe. So it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if they flame out or not. It's irrelevant. They flame out, big yeah. deal. The 616 universe is still unchanged. We haven't mucked mm-hmm. it up yet. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's too bad because Hickman really did have it set up perfectly for Marvel mm-hmm. to do what they wanted to Amen. do, but the way yeah. that DC did it. It's too bad. Mm-hmm. He really had it set up right there for them. I really thought that was the direction they were going in. It's yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, I did too. It's unfortunate. It's like all these people that I know who comp- who are griping and complaining about his X Men. Well, this isn't the X Men. It's like, well, you know, once he leaves, they're just gonna retcon it and ignore it anyway. So, of course, absolutely. En- enjoy that you don't have to spend the money on the book. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> you got that right. You got that. You're totally right, Stephen. Oh man. Yeah. All right. Well, fantastic. All right, that well, that concludes this episode, Stephen. Great issue. We're really excited. Mm-hmm. We will continue to review Infinite Frontier going forward because I think there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot to talk about with each issue. I mean, look how long we went in this podcast, Stephen, and we just yeah. talked about one single <laughs> issue because there's a lot to get into and to dig into with this big event. All right, my yes, friend. Indeed. As always, again, you can download and listen to the Convo Revolution podcast on any of the podcast services out there. Please make sure to rate and review us five stars if you can. And as always, check out what is going on over at comicbookrevolution.com. All right, Stephen. It was fun as always. Until next time, my friend. Viva la revolucion. <laughs>